You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show. The Sweet 16 is set. My bracket is in shambles. Um, and it's great to have the tournament back with fans as it normally is, except for the last two years. And, I mean, the man is delivered. The madness is delivered through the first weekend. It has been nonstop fun, very entertaining, um, and as many storylines as you could possibly want. Yeah, it it 100% delivered. Um, my voice has not survived the, the weekend of chaos. Uh, Las Vegas 1, Brian 0. Really, Las Vegas 7, Brian 0. But <laughs> that's a whole different story. Um, yeah, j- just even being able to watch the games with other people, too. Like, out out and about on the strip, moving up and down the casinos, the bars... You know, folks are stopping in to check scores and all of a sudden you're there for 30 more minutes because, you know, Creighton comes back against San Diego State or St. Peter's forces overtime with Kentucky. Uh, so many different really good games and really fun games to watch. And it it uh, has delivered the first two weekends. I think a big thing. Yeah, or rounds, excuse me. Yeah, I think certainly a, a big theme is no lead is safe this year um yeah. seems like way more um you know double digit or otherwise comebacks late um, than i can really remember the first couple rounds um, mm-hmm. so maximum levels of excitement uh, as we take a look region by region starting in the west which is at this point it looks chalky but it was uh, an interesting yeah. route to get to this point the only region with the top four seeds still remaining gonzaga and arkansas Duke and Texas Tech will be the two regional semifinals. It looks clean. It was not that way. We had some interesting uh, runs from the likes of Teddy Allen in New Mexico State. What mm-hmm. What's kind of something that stood out to you about this region so far? I will say I'll, I'll give a little shout out to one of those little, little guys. We'll go in Georgia State. Air quote is a little guy. Uh, Mark Few before the game said this is absolutely not a 16 seed. A lot of people uh, in the college basketball community agreed that they're probably a 15. He thinks they're a 14 and they gave Gonzaga hell for about 32 ish minutes. I remember looking up and seeing it was still a one point game. And then, of course, Gonzaga goes on their big run to to pull away and make this game look not nearly as close as it was, but continuing to t- discuss that, uh, you know, Gonzaga has a very difficult path to the final four or to the national championship here. They get a really good Georgia state team. They get Memphis who has been playing very well lately and, and really had a couple chances to win this ball game. And then they'll go up against Arkansas. So uh, this this season, especially to to steal a quote from our dear friend Brad Calipari, is earned, not given for Gonzaga, and it, it started from the onset. Like Georgia State was very much in the game the whole way; they were uh, all over the Zags throughout the first half and, and the first half of the second half there. Um, but the real storyline to me has got to be just the disappointment that Alabama's season was. Uh, you, you fly, I mean, they were good against the good teams. They were bad to mediocre against the average to bad teams, and that's what did them in. I mean, not to to shame your 
ACC sleeper pick Notre Dame, who who played very well against Rutgers. That was a, an incredibly entertaining game and really fun. And I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Uh, but they completely no-showed against Notre Dame. And that showed in the 14-point loss. Yeah, certainly Alabama dealing with uh, some injury issues. But I, I think it was a, a great ending to a season that has made zero sense. Um, yeah. I, th- I think, honestly, if Alabama faltered enough in SEC play and got a 10 seed, they'd be in the Sweet 16. That's just kind of how right. the season has gone. Any game where they should be clearly favored has been an absolute grind. And, yeah, Notre Dame, double overtime win over Rutger, which was an outstanding game in the first four. Did not really show any signs of fatigue that you might expect um, going across mm-hmm. the country to San Diego to play a couple days later. Um, they were the better team for for that entire game and really gave Texas Tech a good game in the next round, too. Um, yeah. I mean, Arkansas is in the Sweet 16 this region. It's always a little bit of a dicey game to look at it by conference, uh, similar to bowl season, but... right. It's a little disappointing uh, for the SEC to not have more teams through. There are bigger disappointments we'll get to later, but um, Alabama certainly not even winning a game this year um, with all the the expectations that were pretty justifiable coming into the season is, uh, yeah, it's definitely disappointing. No doubt about it. Um, I think like UConn is a massive disappointment. I know New Mexico State is a good team. Teddy Allen's a great player. Dan Hurley even said so, even if Teddy Allen didn't believe it, saying he's blowing smoke before the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was a team that I thought matched up very well with someone like Arkansas and even matched up well with Gonzaga, and here they are losing by seven in the opening round. Um, and then an absolute meat grinder in the second game that that should have played in New Mexico State's hands, but they really just could not get a basket when they needed it. And then, you know, Foster Lawyer with a wide open look for Davidson to to knock off his old school Michigan State, and he just can't hit it. So a lot of interesting, uh, you know, little little pieces in the game. Storylines story are not what the committee picks. We we all know this. We, we hammer that fact home here. Um but they, they got exactly what they didn't want in that game. Yeah, I mean, the the top half of the region was an absolute grind. And, you know, you can look at Arkansas's path to the Sweet 16 and, you know, kind of overlook it. Yeah. Played a couple double-digit seeds, but, I mean, we've established Vermont is very good. That was an absolute battle. And then mm-hmm. just a very impressive defensive performance from Arkansas in the round of 32, really keen in. On Teddy Allen, um, you know, he only had seven points in that game before garbage time, but um, just the must bust is able to win in a variety of ways. And in Gonzaga, we alluded to, you know, had to come back against Georgia State, had to come back from even further behind against Memphis. Um, it's, you know, for all of the, the flack we gave Penny Hardaway, Memphis was playing its best basketball in March. Um, they, they beat Houston twice this year, narrowly came up short in the American championship game, got a mm-hmm. win over a good Boise team and gave Gonzaga everything it could handle in the second round. Um, so credit to Memphis for not rolling over and dying um, when everyone expected they would. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be a great round of 16 matchup. And I mean, the bottom half too, Duke and Texas Tech. This this seems like a game 
that like Texas Tech has been playing so well all season, but I feel like Duke is just going to find a way to win, um, much like they did against Michigan State. Yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason they they haven't played particularly well. They started out hot against Cal State Fullerton and really didn't impress the rest of the way. But um, when when there's such a talent discrepancy like there is between Duke and Cal State Fullerton, it's it's pretty easy to get by. In Michigan State had a score, like a go-to score. They probably win that game and win it by double digits, but they do not. So instead, we're talking about Coach K's last dance continuing into the Sweet 16. Yeah, and Duke, Michigan State, one of the, if not the, well, I don't know what the stat was, but it was one of the highest watched tournament games ever. It was like 11.2 million, I think. Yeah, which is just absurd. Um but it, it was a very surprisingly good game. I know we right. we right. had Davidson beating Michigan State. No one was really giving Michigan State a chance against Duke. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the magic of March. Means every time you, you kind of expect one team to be a clear favorite, as we saw all over the place in the first couple of rounds, um, it's it's never truly over. No. Uh, some, some places more than others. But uh, yeah, that was a... A good showing for Michigan State. Um, I know Big Ten is another conference that's gotten some flack, but again, no one's expecting seven seed Michigan State to beat Duke. Yeah, they at least showed up. Um, so there is that. Yes, there is. But uh, it's going to be a great, great pair of games on Thursday night uh, to set up. You know, if it's chalk, Gonzaga Duke for the regional final, I think would surpass. Uh, 11.2 million watching that one. Um, I think no doubt about it. Be a battle for the soul of college basketball, if you will. <laughs> yes. Heading over to the South, uh, a little more chaotic, um, but not as much as some. We've got Arizona, the one seed surviving a uh, similar scare that Gonzaga had in the second round. They will take on Houston. And then in the bottom half, we've got Villanova against a team that somehow skipped the first four and went straight to Indianapolis, Michigan. Wonder if that came into play at all. Um, but the Wolverines did beat two higher seeded teams in Colorado state and Tennessee. Um, you're obviously big on Villanova, big East guy. Um, pretty impressive through the first couple rounds where, where are your eyes drawn to um, in this reason region and kind of assessing how we got to the Sweet 16 matchup. Really, I think the story is Houston in this region. They have looked sensational. They looked like we we kind of anticipated before the season, um, easily taking care of UAB and then really dominating Illinois. Like throughout that game, they, they looked very good uh, the entire way. And this is, you know, this is what they do best. They play defense, they slow the game down, and they play it their, their style. And that's what they've done throughout. Um, TCU would have been a great story. They locked in defensively. They hit some really good shots. That they Before the tournament started, they were listed as one of the teams that got the best shot selection or had the best shot selection but could not hit. They certainly did that in round one and in round two. Uh, unfortunately for them, they just did not hit enough shots against Arizona. But Houston is the story for me, like, Michigan is kind of rounding into form, but I think they're also catching like 
They caught Colorado State on a bad day. Obviously caught Tennessee on maybe their worst day in two months at this point. Um, a, a Tennessee team that I know you and a lot of other people were very high on. And I certainly um, believe the Vols were the better team. And they just weren't that on that day. So Michigan really getting production and uh, playing when they need to. But they're saving, they are saving face for the Big Ten. And yeah, Colorado State, they were out of the the tournament so quickly. They as the Mountain West, like forgot that's it's really the the big loser for playing the conference game. Like yeah, outstanding no non conference, outstanding regular season for the conference, and then Wyoming out in the first four, Boise, San Diego State, Colorado State out very quickly. Um but yeah, I a lot I think, of people are back though. So yeah. <laughs> Going uh, going back to Houston quickly, though, I think the Cougs are a very interesting thought exercise because they're a team that the metrics, advanced stats, loved all year long, but the resume just did not match that at all. Um, so a lot of people, some Illinois fans, might be a little upset. You know, second year in a row, they felt they've gotten a tough draw against potentially an underseeded team um in the second round but i personally think it's important we look at resumes because kind of like we talk about during college football season otherwise what's the point of playing the games like yeah. wins and losses have to matter because also like if we went off of metrics michigan would have been like a five seed and right. I know they're in the sweet 16, but they did not deserve that treatment after a 17, 14 regular season. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate that Illinois ran into a team that's playing really good basketball right now, but Houston didn't get a quad one win till the championship game of their conference tournament. Like, yeah, even five, you could argue is pretty generous seating. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to be a, a hell of a challenge for Arizona. Um, with their physicality, but I mean, Houston is, is right where they should be. And again, credit to Kelvin Sampson being able to work through two major injuries and have the team rolling for the vast majority of the season. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And I think the only counterpoint I have to Illinois is Illinois fans is I understand these are like the two teams they lost to in the past two tournaments are very defensive minded, but you can't score 53 and 58 points respectively and expect to win an NCAA tournament game. Like yeah. you have a dominant big who they have argued all year long is the national player of the year in Kofi Coburn. You have Trent Frazier, who's a very capable scorer. You have Alfonso Plummer, who shot like 90% from three, seemingly. Like that, this team should and could have done a lot better than they did. And I think I, I understand the frustration, but at the same time, you can't really play the blame game unless you take a look in the mirror first. No, Illinois is playing with house money against Houston because they should have yeah. lost to Chattanooga. Like Chattanooga yeah. was in control for the vast majority of that game, came out hot, um, and then it was like slowly, very, very slowly letting the air out of a balloon, uh, especially right. the last like three to four minutes. No one on Chattanooga or Illinois wanted to win the game. They both mm -hmm. wanted to go home, wrap up the season. Um, and I mean, 
Illinois just made one fewer mistake, but very yeah. ugly basketball game that Illinois was fortunate to win. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's hard. It's hard for me to, to really take any complaints seriously because Houston has been very impressive. Both games, you know, red hot UAB team, Jelly Walker, Houston was able to handle uh, them without much trouble. Um, really one of the few teams that's been pretty drama free through the first couple rounds. Seems like, yeah, you know, a lot of these teams, obviously everyone left has won two games, but most of them have had some degree of drama. We haven't really seen uh, much of that so far for Houston. Um, and yeah, going back to Michigan as well, my, my heart breaks for fall nation. It really does. It, does. Um, it was very frustrating watching the home stretch of that game. Um, I, I think it was something ridiculous, like five points in eight minutes yeah, uh, for Tennessee. And like, there were a lot of things Michigan did well. Um, Hunter Dickinson is an absolute load on the block. Eli Brooks hit a lot of big time shots, uh, clutch sky hook near the end, but absurd really. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a great homage to Xavier former Simpson. Wolverine Xavier Simpson. Yeah. Who would do that like two or three times a game and yeah. you, you would just not see anyone else in the country. Uh, do that. Eight, seven points a game and <laughs> yeah. six of them were sky hooks. <laughs> it's absurd. It's like, what year is it? Yeah. Um, but very effective. And yeah, like it, it really didn't seem like Michigan was doing anything defensively to, to cause Tennessee to go through a drought uh, that severe. It was just, Bad offense, I mean, ten- really. Ten- yeah, Tennessee not being able to to get out of its own way, take advantage of favorable matchups on the perimeter, and at a certain point, it's probably a little bit of the the mental aspect too, trying to get over the the narrative that now is going to grow louder. Um, your coach is Rick Barnes. You <laughs> struggle mightily to get out of the first weekend. Um, I mean, it was it was set up perfectly for them, especially with how impressive Tennessee looked against Longwood. Yeah. Um, that was one of the, the major beatdowns the first round. But, yeah, round-to-round momentum is, is rarely a thing in this tournament. Uh, results don't matter, really, for better or worse. Uh, if you played poorly, the round before doesn't necessarily matter. And if you played well, it doesn't matter either. Um, so... This is a, a potential Sweet 16 matchup we might have expected in the preseason or something, you know, second mm-hmm. second weekend or beyond, um, looking at this from where we sat in the preseason. Villanova, right on schedule, pre-use. Um, yeah. Been very consistent the last couple of years. Michigan's okay. Far more circular route to get here. Um, but Villanova's been... Pretty low drama the first couple rounds, too, ruining a potential Ohio State-Michigan matchup here. But uh, still feeling pretty confident in those Wildcats. I think I yeah, I, they, they do, they've been doing what they do best. Like They come up with clutch stops defensively. They don't make mistakes on offense. They hit the open man for three. Like It's, it's just very unselfish offense. And it is why they're constantly in this position to win because – their guys know who the hot hand is. They get it to them. They get it where they want it, and they get them open. And that's exactly what we've seen uh, this first couple rounds. Yeah, so 
that will be a, a fun matchup. Arizona, Houston, whoever stays out of foul trouble, because you have a feeling they're just going to go at each other like a couple of prize yeah. fighters. Um, and that was part of what made Arizona TCU so entertaining, just back and forth, outstanding post-play. Coloco, I mean, where where has that offense been? Um, yeah. Was was exceptional. Matherin was himself. And credit to TCU, Jamie Dixon. couple of uh, impressive performances to get there. Um, any... Any thoughts? Quick, uh, quick eulogy on on your pirate season. I know it's certainly not the the ending you would have wanted against TCU. Yeah, complete no show. Um, the game was really over before I even got to start watching it, which was incredible. Foul trouble once again an issue. Like teams like to play physical, except we apparently play too physical, and it's not a complaint on the officials. It's a complaint on not changing your style of play when you were consistently getting outshot at the free throw line and uh, in, in foul trouble, I feel bad for a guy like Jared Roden who fouls out with 14 minutes left in the last game of his career on just a brutal offensive foul call. But at the end of the day, you got to be at least halfway decent. And this was the worst tournament performance in the history of the school. So cre- credit to our guys for, for setting records. Yeah, certainly in the, the wrong direction, but uh, yeah, that was a that was a challenging game to watch, certainly. Um, but it's over. New things on the horizon. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just the the T- the uh, the Big Twelve was tough this year. TCU kind of came out of nowhere to challenge in that conference and make the tournament. But will say, just as a overarching theme for this tournament, one of many, the officiating has been not great, to yeah. put it kindly. Um, especially in this region, the East, we've got, uh, North Carolina and Baylor is a fun ref show. Um, North Carolina advanced, they'll take on UCLA. And then in the bottom half, it's Purdue and the story of the tournament, the Peacocks of St. Peter's, um, I, our, our stat department just put this in front of me. Uh, Purdue in the bottom half has this can't be right has never won a national championship and has not made the final four since 1980. Now they get a a 15 seed in the Sweet 16, no one seed either. Could this be the year that Purdue ends the drought? Surely nothing could get in the way of this. I also have received a note that St. Peter's has never made the final four, nor have they won a national wow. championship. And all they have is seven four Zach Eady, who's playing some very good basketball right now uh, in their way. Uh, jokes aside, it could not have lined up better for Purdue. All season long, you have been in credit to you. You have been saying that you think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten. They are one of two remaining, if I did the math correctly there, uh, in the Sweet 16. I wouldn't, like, yeah, St. Peter's is a great draw, obviously. You have a a massive size advantage. I mean, they have a massive size advantage in most games, but I think Casey and Defo is like 6'6". So uh, the fact that he is the top defender for the St. Peter's team should, should let Matt Painter feel pretty good. If UCLA can get past North Carolina, who has looked phenomenal in those first two games, I don't see any reason why Purdue can't make the run to the Final Four. Um, 
I think if North Carolina wins that game, it's going to be very tough. But yeah, I, I worry about what you have in front of you because this very, you know, Murray State or Kentucky easily could have gotten to this point as well. Um, but St. Peter's got in the way and, and they're figuring out ways to win and they're playing with a ton of confidence right now. Yeah. And I mean, very impressive that St. Peter's followed up the Kentucky performance with another, I mean, at the end, pretty comfortable win over a very good Murray State team. Uh, yeah. Pretty locked in defensively in both games. And, you know, certainly against Kentucky, outstanding in crunch time, more the same against Murray State's uh, last four minutes. I have, I have, I have long said for probably the last month that Purdue is the only good team in the Big Ten. I mm-hmm. reiterated that uh, round and a half into the tournament before Purdue had played their second round game, so that could have ended poorly. And then people started trying to argue with me about Michigan, but let's face it, Michigan limped into the tournament at seventeen and fourteen. One of your most recent games was blowing a 17-point lead to Indiana with 11 minutes left, so that kind of eliminates you from being a good team. I do not make the rules. Um, Purdue, I I thought pre-tournament they were going to make an Elite Eight run. Still looks like that has a a pretty good chance of happening, and, and now I think you could start looking to more than that. You have to beat St. Peter's, obviously, but other side of the region, couple of blue bloods, North Carolina, UCLA, both playing at a level that we kind of thought they were capable of in the preseason, especially North Carolina. Boat races Marquette. Boat race Baylor for... 30 minutes um, and then found a way to blow a 25 point lead. Pretty fortunate to escape in overtime. Um, The refs in the North Carolina Baylor game were as, as bad as you can get at the college level. Uh, We'll say both ways, both ways were very bad, Um, but there were several head scratching calls in both directions that uh, really affected momentum of the game at times. And just on this stage, you cannot have a ref show of that magnitude um, where at times truthfully taken over the game. It, it was to the point where I was at a craps table and the entire thing stopped. Everyone <laughs> stopped just to see what was happening. Cause there's no volume. See so here. You're kind of just guessing what's going on. You see all the trips, you see the elbows, you see everything that's happening. And then you realize the game started like two and a half hours ago and there's still nine minutes left in the second half. Yeah, It's it's a problem that has been going on for not just this season, but many seasons in college basketball. Um, officiating is way too inconsistent. It is way too much of a look at me, look at me in college hoops. And this was there was no greater moment than this that showed that off. Hopefully, that crew's done their last game for the NCAA tournament. I can't remember who exactly was on it, nor can I remember if they're still going. At least one of them, I at least one of them is is going on to uh, the regional round. I don't know, but 
any additional, but I, I did see some some noise on Twitter. Don't remember who, but I know at least oh. one of the guys from that game is still in the tournament. Lovely. Um, but yeah, until there is accountability, we're going to keep getting these shit shows, and it's going to ruin. Like, at some point, it is going to ruin the NCAA tournament, which is, for a lot of people, the only reason they tune into the sport. Yeah. Um, it's tough, because, I mean, those of us who watch the entire season now it's been uh it's been a problem in our respective conferences uh it's it's tough because it's it's really a a thankless job is officiating level it's uh close to a a no-win proposition not saying it's easy but some of the things that we're seeing in in big moments big games um of a questionable ejection of uh of Brady Manikin, the the game turning on that uh, right. a lot of a lot of fouls and, and no calls both ways in this game in particular um, pretty questionable attack on Illinois in the Houston game like yeah. a lot of things you can point to in the first weekend um, that warrant questioning and even the fact that we're having to have any discussion at all about officiating when you know I'd love to to focus on much more positive storylines like a 15 seed made into the sweet 16 North Carolina showing signs of life. Finally Um, it's, it's frustrating. Um, There are four double digit seeds in the sweet 16. And we are talking about officiating like that tells you how big of an issue it is at this point. Yeah. Um, But real opportunity uh, for North Carolina, like it would have been, Armageddon on Al Gore's internet if North Carolina did not find a way to win this game. Uh, yeah. Like, there were bad calls that went against Baylor, but, I mean, the Bears were getting thoroughly outplayed for most of that game. You can't really point to that um, at all um, if you're a Baylor fan. is th- This was a game that the injuries for Baylor – really showed for the first time. Um, I thought North Carolina was pretty dominant on the interior for a lot of this game, and Baylor really missed uh, having JTT here. Um, Would have changed the game. Uh, North Carolina is able to take advantage, and I mean, credit the Tar Heels. They've been playing very well, ACC tournament notwithstanding, but um, this is... This is right where they wanted to be and a great accomplishment for Hubert Davis in his first season. And the king of LA, Mick Cronin, now awaits with a uh, a team that made a Final Four run last year. Um, scary moment in the first round against uh, Akron and Illini legend John Gross, but comfortable second round win over a, a very good St. Mary's team. And mm-hmm. I mean... You know the the eight next to North Carolina's name is uh, something that would normally give you confidence as a four seed, but the way the Tar Heels have been playing, certainly not a game that UCLA should be heavily favored in. Um, I, I think this one at this point in the tournament truly could go either way. Yeah, I mean it really depends on which North Carolina shows up, and, right. and for that matter, which UCLA shows up. They really haven't lit up the scoreboard 
like we've seen them do. I mean, 57 points in the opener against Akron is, is certainly a far cry from the UCLA team we saw last season, although it is more so in uh, it's it's more so in the McCronin style that we've seen or used to from Cincinnati. But yeah, it, it this could be a very Jekyll and Hyde game for both of these teams. Um, the interior is obviously going to be dominated by North Carolina. That's where they have a huge advantage. But if they can continue to get great guard play from R.J. Davis, who's been a star over this last month and a half, they've got a very good chance to win that game and beat a good Purdue team or an upstart St. Peter's squad. Yeah, and I, I think the the one sort of comforting thing from UCLA's perspective, at a lot of times last year's Magical Final Four run, they're a little bit of one-man show with Johnny Juzang. He hasn't really been lighting it up so far. so. You know, could he be due or is he just destined to not have a good tournament? I, I know UCLA fans will yeah. be hoping for the former, um, but that's something to keep an eye on. You know, if and when the Johnny Juzang March game does arrive. Um, but yeah, lots to look forward to there. Obviously, my Hoosiers did not advance out of the round of 64. Won a game uh, against Wyoming. I'll good take it. You. Happy to make it. Um, honestly, that was that was the goal for year one under Mike Woodson. So mission accomplished there. It's not going to be an every year goal. Um, now, now you got to build for something more positive, more consistent, deep runs in the tournament, and avoid the February swoon that Archie made famous. And there was a fitting homage from Mick Woodson to Archie in year one. Uh, so try to avoid that going forward, but it'll Hopefully, be yeah. an interesting off season to see what the roster looks like next season. Um, mm-hmm. Cause some musical chairs will have to be played to, uh, to make room for Jalen hood, Shafino and others. Um, I think honestly, I think they're oversigned by three right now. Um, so Gonna need some some spring cleaning to happen. Would not be the first time in in Indiana in this decade. Well, well, we might have zero, so we'll take a couple. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, we found a found a good home for Al Durham in the Big East. Yeah. Speaking of Al, Providence is still playing. The haters will point out the Friars have only played double digit seeds, but that's Iowa's fault. If we're being honest. Um, the Friars will take on Kansas in the Sweet 16 in the Midwest region. And mm-hmm. the bottom is a double-digit seed matchup between Miami and Iowa State. Um, both these teams, in a lot of ways, pulling reverse Oregon State's. Uh, Oregon State, as you will recall, was in the Elite Eight last year and managed, I believe, three wins this season. Iowa State had two wins last year. They could be Elite Eight bound. Um, Miami was pretty awful last year as well. Uh, One of these teams will go to the Elite Eight, so that is a fun story in and of itself there. But, I mean, I feel like this was a, a region coming in. We saw, you know, we said top five seeds all have 
pretty obvious flaws and three of them succumb to those. Um, so not so much a told you so moment because my bracket did not look anything like the sweet 16, but it, it's kind of a, a little bit of if these teams were going to lose early, it makes sense the manner at which it happened. Yeah, it does. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Creighton, incredible <laughs> comeback against San Diego State. And then if they don't lose Kalkbrenner, they probably beat Kansas. I mean, that was a game all the way through, but it was, I don't know, one possession for about 35 or 36 minutes of it. And and they were really just a, making a jump shot away. What a disappointment Iowa was. You could kind of see it coming. Um, it felt like they peaked a little too early in the Big Ten tournament. But Richmond really is not a good basketball team. The fact that they got here is incredible, and it's good for them. And that team, you know, really underachieved last year. And I think it's nice to see that group get a chance in the tournament and to win a game. But man, oh man, could Providence not get a better better second-round draw after avoiding disaster against South Dakota State? Credit to us, Iowa State, LSU, nailing the under. Um, I simply just did not bet enough on it. I certainly bet it. I did not bet enough. Wisconsin gets lucky that Colgate goes cold for like the last nine minutes of the game and forgets how to score. Otherwise, they probably lose a pseudo home game against a 14 seed. USC did what we expected. And then Auburn, man, falls very, very flat and forgets that Jabari Smith is on their team in that second round game against Miami. But biggest... Biggest story for me is that Providence continues their run. Um, I will pat myself on the back and say I had them in the Elite Eight, so they are right on track for me. Certainly did not have anything in the bottom here because I had Auburn in the national championship, but Sam. Charlie Moore goes home. He gets a chance to play in front of the home crowd one last time in Chicago um, after stops at four different schools. So that plus obviously the Iowa State turnaround going from two wins to two wins away from the final four is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Remarkable year one turnaround for TJ Onsberger. Great turnaround for Miami as well. And yeah, that was as comfortable a 10 to upset as I think you'll ever see. Um, there was very little drama um, in terms of end results. Once you got to a certain point and, you need guards to win in March. It's pretty clear that Miami had the better perimeter players in that game. Um, and despite having a lottery pick in, in Jabari Smith, one of the best defensive players in the country in Walker Kessler, Auburn just could not overcome that fact, um, just having inferior guard play. Uh, a couple surprises for me certainly were Iowa – and South Dakota State just going ice cold from the perimeter. Um, yeah. I mean, both two Providence's benefit, if we're being honest. Um, like the way Iowa flames out in March is they run into a team with far superior athleticism and is able to take advantage of the Hawkeyes' inability to defend, shall we say. Um, thought this was a, a little bit different of. An Iowa team, given that yeah. they have the Murrays, um, gives them a little bit more of a 
athletic front line and ability to, to score in different ways. But I mean, they were what six for 29 from three in the first rounds. And like the, the Richmond team that we expected showed up in the second round and yeah, just blew them out of the water. Um, so just very head scratching 12, five upset there. Um, one that I certainly was not expecting. Um, and yeah, I mean, your Providence seemed like that uh, in certain ways we can only beat who's in front of us. Um, it's it's a much taller task now with Kansas. Um, big opportunity. They match up pretty well, though. Yeah, big opportunity for Nate Watson to take yeah. advantage of what has been Kansas's Achilles heel. And to your point, Kalkbrenner's in that game going up against a, a much maligned Kansas front line. That could be a very different result in the second round. Um, yeah. So Kansas, odd thing to say about a one seed, but a bit opportunistic as well. Um, so very winnable game for Providence. Um, there's really nothing you can say at this point to discredit the Friars. Like if Kansas comes out, wins this game going away. All right. We're a four seed who lost to a one. Like, what do you right. want us to do? Um, but yeah, I think whoever comes out of that game, the top half of the region is going to have a pretty darn favorable matchup going up against a double digit seed in the elite eight. So, I mean, three's been shaping up pretty nicely for somebody, I would say. Yeah, I agree, and it it is, really is the first time this season that it seems like Providence is playing with house money. So yeah. let's see what let's see how they play because it feels like I wouldn't say back against the wall is how they played, but it, it's very much been a uh, prove that the the haters the doubters wrong. Yeah, Iowa State certainly playing with house money. Um, yeah, defensive battle that they're able to get enough from, you know certain guys each game Tyrese Hunter exceptional in round one over LSU LSU playing without a coach difficult situation uh, for those players to be in um, but Iowa State took advantage and then Wisconsin is the team that that the haters were really celebrating uh, the loss of is, yeah you know similar season to Providence that got pushed way under the radar because um, people were I think for the most part, getting a lot angrier about Providence. Um, right. Really. And Johnny Davis, I think was a yeah. story that kind of like pushed the spotlight away from how much Wisconsin was overachieving to, Oh, he's really good. He's probably going to be a lottery pick next year. And it just speaks to as well, how reliant Wisconsin was on Johnny Davis. Um, yeah. Is exactly. he, got banged up in the regular season finale, which Wisconsin lost by the way, to Nebraska lose early People in the big Ten, lose early in the big 10 tournament. We're fortunate, as you said, to get out of the first round against Nellie Cummings and Colgate, who now also is going to be one of the hottest commodities on the transfer market. And um, like, it's just it's so appropriate putting Iowa state, LSU, Wisconsin, in the same pod. Mm -hmm. Like if there was ever an opportunity for a 14 seed to make 
a magical run. I think it could have been here. Colgate yeah. ran out of steam. Wisconsin advances. And I mean, Iowa State took care of business. Um, Cal I mean, sure did just enough to get them through. Yeah. I mean, it's it certainly wasn't an easy path because they are an 11 seed, um, deservedly right. so. They've had their offensive struggles, but if basically just if one guy steps up offensively every game, you know, Hunter, Kalisher, is it going to be Isaiah Brockington's turn um, in the Sweet 16 against Miami? Because Miami is very dangerous March 10 seed just because what they can throw at you on the perimeter. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie Moore, Isaiah Wong has had some outstanding plays. Cameron McGusty, like they've got guys to throw at you. Um, and this is going to be probably the most challenging game. Um, I don't think that's much of a stretch for Iowa State from a defensive perspective. Uh, fortunately, right. that's what Iowa State usually excels at. Um, so mm-hmm. very, very intriguing matchup there in the Sweet 16. And then you talk about playing with house money. If you are a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight, like all the pressure is going to be on your opponent. So, I mean, it's just going to be fascinating to see how the rest of this region plays out. Like, I think the pressure right now is squarely on Kansas's shoulders because you've got the double-digit mm-hmm. seeds. You've got Providence who, you know, they're in the Sweet 16, but there are a lot of haters who still do not believe in the Friars. Um, and you are Kansas. So this is... Yep. I, you're I think, in Chicago. It's like a yeah. pseudo home game for you. I think at this point, it's it's Kansas's... Pretty clearly, Kansas's region to lose. Um, yeah. But, you know, Bill Self has found a way before. He so th- this started to go around a little bit when they started showing the uh, the wins, and this was a conversation that the group I was with had. Is Bill Self quietly skates by on three Final Fours and one national championship, and no one says a word about whether he's a good coach or not. As as quietly as one can, um, right? Those are those are still good accomplishments, certainly. Oh, but absolutely. There is but when when they hold them up to like. Jay Wright, Coach K, Izzo, those guys. It's kind of like, how did he get into this mix? He, yeah, he he should not be in that conversation. I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, For a while, it wasn't as clear. Um, You know, right? Jay Wright certainly had more of a renaissance, and now has completely shook off. You know, those years of Villanova underachieving in March. I think well established that he's beyond that. Um, and yeah. he has thrust himself firmly as one of the best coaches in the country. I don't think there's there's any argument there. Um, there have been some great runs for Bill Self. There have been a lot mm-hmm. of disappointments. And really, I think the thing that gets overlooked, if anything, is the national championship came from Mario Chalmers banking in a three to send a game to overtime. Memphis um, completely forgetting yeah. how to shoot free throws. Yeah. Um, which I will admit that's opening up Pandora's box a little bit because it, it can be easy to nitpick any one individual game in March. Um, right. But yeah, Kansas has had a lot of uh, 
disappointing marches. Um, you know, there's Patrick O'Brien, there's Chris McNaughton and Bucknell. Mm-hmm. There's not getting to the second weekend with Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins. Um, but yeah, I, I think this this would probably be the biggest disappointment. Um, you know, losing to Dylan Brooks in Oregon, definitely disappointing. This would blow it out of the water. Um, like, I, I I did not expect Kansas to make it to the Final Four. I had Auburn there. But now if Kansas doesn't make it, I think is it's a tough completely, one. yeah, very, very, very tough scene. Yeah. No pressure, though. Not none whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I know personally I'm in dire straits because three of my four Final Four teams did not make it out of the first weekend. <laughs> um, at this point, are you making what, what are the adjustments, we'll say, because you have to at certain points, but what are the adjustments right. you're making to your Final Four on the fly? Uh, yeah, so I still have Gonzaga and Villanova. I don't have my sheet in front of me, um, but I'm going to say I still think I think Purdue makes it out of the East here. Um, and I'm actually going to take Providence out of the Midwest. I think the pressure gets to Kansas. I think they match up just too well. And if Akbaji doesn't have a big game, uh, they could be in huge, huge trouble because the rest of their guards have, have struggled to score at certain points this year when they come up against tougher defensive teams. Um, and Justin Manaya has been has been really good defensively. I I can't see either of Iowa State, Miami getting through this. But if Iowa State wins and they get a Providence team, like that would be such a ridiculous Elite Eight game that I could see Iowa State winning it. But um, and and that would be the perfect way to cap off Providence's season. They get you know, yeah. air quote, all the luck in the world. They beat Kansas to finally be like, hey, we you know we beat a top team. We're we're really good. <laughs> and they get offensively challenged Iowa State and they lose. Um, but I think it's I think it's actually going to be Providence out of the Midwest region, um, and then I'm sticking with Gonzaga into the championship, and I will take Villanova in that rematch against Providence, and it'll be Gonzaga cutting down the nets. I, I'm with you in that I, I still have Gonzaga going all the way. The rest of my bracket was a, a dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> quick note, though, I, I think I agree with you. Like if Providence beats Kansas, there is a real, real risk, um, although no one would ever admit there would be a, a real risk of Providence letting its guard down a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, we've proven ourselves now. That's when you have a huge risk, like a Virginia <laughs> losing to Syracuse in the Elite yeah. Eight. Um, I, I think a, a similar situation could be could happen in the Midwest. Um, But so I've got Gonzaga. Um, I, I almost want to cheat a little. Um, I I'll, I'll pick Arizona from the South, but really whoever wins Arizona, Houston, I think is going Mm -hmm. to win that elite eight game. Uh, I'll go Kansas in the Midwest. All the pressure is on them to not lose one of the next two games. Um, I'm going to go UCLA in the East to make it back to the final four. Um, 
North Carolina has been playing as well as anyone in the first two games, but larger body of work, there is a little bit more of a question mark as to which North Carolina team will show up. Um, Mm -hmm. If the good one does, they can play with anyone, Um, but that's a little bit more of a question mark. Purdue will find a way to draw disappointment from this season. I think it'll be in the elite eight. Um, So Gonzaga is going to win it all. I don't necessarily know or care who it's going to be against at this point uh, in the championship game. Uh, A rematch with UCLA would be a lot of fun though. Mm -hmm. That's what I will say. Um, You know, I know they played once this season already, but really run it back. That doesn't matter at this point. Yeah. No, it does not. Um, But that is one portion of what's happening in the college basketball world right now. Off the court, there is a ton happening far beyond whatever sanctions um, are going to be levied, if any. Um, presumably some will in the offseason. But half the SEC is entirely different uh, from a coaching perspective. I know there is some drama elsewhere, um, certainly in your neck of the woods. Do you want to start there? Yeah, it's uh, something I don't know if we didn't anticipate happening, but it it felt weeks ago it felt just impossible and now here it is and it kind of feels like it's the right time for everyone um kevin willard moves on to maryland he had flirted with the idea of virginia tech a couple years ago but i think the job plus miles powell being there kind of kept him from going i even want to add in that i think he's a good enough guy that he didn't think there was a clear replacement for him um so he didn't take the job there, but honestly, it was probably the team he knew he had coming back was the reason why he stayed. So yeah, 12 years, Kevin Willard, second winning as coach in Seton Hall history. Um, he passed PJ Carlissimo, who had 12 seasons at the Hall as well, in to- terms of total wins, 720 win seasons, Big East regular season and tournament title, five NCAA tournament appearances, although he only went one in four in those games. Um, or one in five, excuse me, one in five now, uh, with two of, with the two worst offensive performances in school history in those games. Look, he he inherited an absolute mess, an absolute dumpster fire from the Bobby Gonzalez era. Seton Hall was an afterthought. It was so low on the totem pole that Big East officials were speaking with them constantly to figure out like what the hell is going on here. We need to figure it out and fix this. Um, it is no longer an afterthought. It, this is a, a program that has finished in the top half of the Big East consistently. They've competed for Big East championships. They have arguably the the best rivalry in the conference with the best team, Villanova. Um, and they continue to, to win games. They've won the second most games in the league, I believe, since realignment. These are all stats that I'm, I'm trying to pull out of my head from reading statements earlier today. Uh, and... Really, at the end of the day, Seton Hall fans should be incredibly thankful to Kevin Willard because he revived a program, built it up, and he did what he does best. He he built with integrity. He put the the players first, 
He gave them an opportunity to flourish with player development. He got them off the court to pick up their grades and and become models, student athletes and citizens. And I, you know, we we kind of laugh at that term, student athlete, but that is the idea here. Graduating, I mean, he had two Big East Academic Players of the Year. Now um, he's let guys go intern on on Wall Street instead of working out over the summer. Um, and yeah, he—I mean—he took over a bad situation and left it in an incredibly good place. And now there is a very clear heir apparent in the man that is leading the 15-seat St. Peter's Peacocks. And so long as that deal gets done, I think there, there's a lot to be optimistic about at Seton Hall. I think he clearly hit his ceiling, um, and I understand the frustration around these no-shows or poor performances in the NCAA tournament. The asterisk is obviously there of what could have been in 2020 when they were probably a three or four seed. And, you know, they have a guy like Miles Powell who's built for March that can make that run. Um, But he did so much for the university. And, like, you you can't not feel grateful. And for the people that don't, like, kick rocks. You are the worst of our fan base. You are the reason. um, You're the reason why I can't stand going on Twitter after losses because you just bitch and moan. And when we win, you bitch and moan. And, you hate the coach, but when he leaves, you bitch and moan. And the way he leaves, you bitch and moan. And it's like, my God, nothing is ever good enough. Like this is this is Seton Hall. This isn't Duke. This isn't Kentucky. You know, we have uh, we have very little tournament success out of the late '80s, early '90s. You can't you can't expect this guy uh, to be the second coming of Jesus when schools are putting millions upon millions of dollars into their facilities. So. It's an interesting marriage. I would love to hear your thoughts on Maryland hiring him. Um, it's funny because Turgeon, obviously, his biggest knock was underperforming in March, and that has been Kevin Willard's MO, but I think that's also part of the environment he was in, like with a better, you know, more with a better program with more resources. I think there's more he can do. I'm certainly cheering for them, unless, of course, they play, which a thousand percent Seton Hall is going to get Maryland next year in the Gavit game. So really looking forward to that one. Um, but yeah, like I, I have no ill will towards Kevin Willard. I think chase the bag, dude. You got four point four million a year, which is insane money. Um, and he deserves it. Like he, he did an unbelievable job at a program that literally no one wanted to take over and has left it in position where they're making NCAA tournaments consistently. They're competing with the better programs in the Big East, and, like, it's not a joke in New Jersey anymore. Yeah, obviously I am the outsider in this situation, uh, but just from my perspective, the old, old Big East, Seton Hall is a major player. The old Big East, uh, certainly, like, just before realignments, mm-hmm. Seton Hall would very rarely cross my mind as, you know, a major player in that conference. There there are a lot of yeah. schools um, that you would think of first. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that aligns with, you know, Kevin Willard coming to town and, and as you said, really turning around the program um, and having a major run of just, making it to the NCAA tournament year after year, winning the conference tournament with Isaiah Whitehead, um, which was a very entertaining run, winning the conference. And that unfairly, I think Seton Hall is one of probably three or four teams nationally that 
really would be upset about not having the opportunity to to make a run that year in March. You look at Dayton, you look at San Diego State, probably the two mm-hmm. others I would think of that year. But um, if anyone is going to complain about you know lack of second weekend runs for Kevin Willard or, or anything, because you know how these things get the, the goalposts constantly change first. It's getting exactly. to the tournament. Um, and I, I mean, I can, I can certainly relate in that every time Indiana loses any game, it immediately becomes, how is this now a referendum of the state of the program uh, when it should mm-hmm. not be that way. Um, but I, I personally was very impressed with what he was able to do to elevate Seton Hall to a place where now every preseason it's, you know, this is a, a team and program that we expect to compete for the big East title, at least finish top three in the conference. Um, and that's, that's pretty realistic year in and year out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a stretch. It's not like right. me being an alum is the reason that we talk about them throughout yeah. the season it is actually the on-court product they're relevant yeah yeah they're like they're they're a team you should talk about um and you know they're up and down over the course of the season just like most mm-hmm. teams are um but there are reasons to talk about them they were the first team to really score a major victory over preseason top five michigan this year um they were they were competitive in the Big East, even with dealing with um, some unfortunate timing on COVID absences, but Kevin Willard still trying to play through it, which in the big picture might not have been the best decision, but was certainly admirable. Um, which mm-hmm. can't say about a lot of other teams who did game the system a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think if Holloway does come over, I, I think that's putting the program in perfect hands. Pretty smooth transition is I think that's become a lot bigger recently as a lot of schools going hiring the alumni, uh, the alumnus. <laughs> but because I mean, honestly, like St. Peter's is one of the hardest jobs out there. Um, totally. Like within the last decade, some of the the working conditions for previous coaching staffs um, like having to split the arena with other, other organizations and not always being told about it. Um, facilities mm-hmm. flooding pretty, pretty frequently. Um, so if he can take a, a very difficult job like that and now put them in the sweet 16, um, you know, operating on a, a budget that, never in a million years could come close to comparing to a place like Kentucky and matching them mm-hmm. blow for blow on the basketball court. I don't think there's any reason to think that he wouldn't be able to keep Seton Hall at its current level. And I think there is certainly comfort in that um, because I, I know it's, it's, it's frustrating to lose coaches. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the precedent had been set a little bit by Chris Holtman leaving Butler to go to Ohio state. Um, right. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting hire for Maryland. Um, I think that was the guy in the Northeast that you would go after. Um, Cause 
I think at this point, Rick Pitino is not going anywhere. Like, right, right. Rick Pitino is the, the big name in the Big East, but understandably with the baggage, probably not something he's interested in anymore. Kevin Willard was the guy they had to get, um, and now he'll be tasked with turning around another historic basketball brand. Um, but will it come with its own set of challenges in the Big Ten? For sure. For sure. I think I, I agree with everything you said, so I, I have nothing left. There we go. Um, the only other thing I will uh, quickly mention, like we'll see a lot more uh, coaching carousel in um, the true offseason. I know yeah. it, it's the offseason for a lot of teams, but there is still postseason basketball being played. Um, the only other thing I'll, I'll say is like, Half the SEC has already changed coaches um, and has like already successfully hired someone. the mm-hmm. the The really big surprise is, um, you know, Mike White. Right. Kind of what I think could uh, be best described as a shock of smart situation, where like mm-hmm. you can't you can't fire me, I quit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's Oliver Purnell did that better than anyone else. It's still never been fired. Um, But that's uh, that's kind of the surprising one. But, you know, you go down the list and it's basically like five schools hiring the best of the best from mid-major coaching candidates. Um, You know, Todd Golden, interesting geographic fit maybe but mm-hmm. took san francisco uh back to the tournament first time in over 20 years yep now it gets a uh, a pretty pretty major basketball job at florida um you know matt mcmahon to lsu lamont paris to south carolina uh new mexico state loses uh christian is going to mississippi state and uh dennis gates now at Missouri. So the the heavy hitters in the conference, I, I think all have pretty big time coaches. These schools hoping that they have found the next NATOs um at their school. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's pretty clear at this point that the SEC is a basketball conference. Um, like it is, it is being prioritized in a way that it really hadn't been before. It's like, I think schools understand it's like, Hey, football brings in a ridiculous amount of money. So does basketball. So it is in our best interest to take this just as seriously. And the, the biggest change really is giving coaches much shorter leashes. Um, I think we're, we're seeing that it's like, you're not getting results right away. We'll bring in the next guy. Um, and it's, it's just a, an arms race of sorts and will be very interesting to see which of these guys um, is able to elevate their team into sweet 16 quality programs. Mm-hmm. And if Mike white is able to find success that eluded him at Florida, um, I think the most interesting part of that, you can't fire me, I quit 
move is staying within the same conference. Um, yeah, that's. I think that makes it a lot harder. But going to a rival. Yeah, I think just just glancing at the list, I I love uh, Todd Golden um, mm-hmm. purely from a a basketball knowledge and you know tactician perspective. Now he has to quickly familiarize himself with a part of the country and league he he might not have as much knowledge of, but I mean he's he's got everything else covered. So in the classic Goodman line that he says about literally every coaching hire, mm-hmm. the, assi- the assistance he brings onto his staff will be vitally important. Yeah, I think. Um... I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by Chris Jans because obviously I think, you know, most people know that New Mexico state had become like reclamation project central where they would just take in anybody. And, and as long as they had, you know, basketball skills, they were playing. Um, I don't know that that'll work at Mississippi state. I'd imagine that he'd have to go out there and do a little better recruiting job uh, out of the high school ranks than that. But, College basketball is becoming a heavy transfer portal game. And and if you can keep that going with, you know, student athletes of the caliber and, and level that Mississippi State wants, he might have a, a good chance there. And then Dennis Gates has been a hot name for a while. He's, he's an interesting fit because I think you go from like a Quanzo Martin to a Quanzo Martin type in Dennis Gates um, with, you know, less power six job experience obviously but i like dennis gates a lot i think he's a good coach and like you mentioned todd golden knows his stuff and mcmahon just to to close the loop on all that mcmahon had a ton of success at murray state um and will be inheriting a very interesting situation with lsu and the the sanctions that are coming but he should get time there to to clean that up and I think it really speaks to the quality of coaches um, that all of these schools are bringing in is that, you know, the one you, the, the higher you probably question the most is the guy who just came from a power six school. Yeah. Like uh, what? So, I mean, it's, it's a very exciting time for the SEC. Like this was an outstanding regular season, postseason results, obviously not matching, but mm-hmm. You know, last year, um, you know, 2021, very impressive tournament showing. I, I'm not I'm not worried about the SEC. Like, this is a conference that is taking basketball very seriously and is widening the gap between it and conferences yeah. like the Pac-12 uh, very dramatically. And really, if anything, now it's on the ACC across the board to – you know, a good tournament showing does not necessarily make it a good conference, make us forget about what happened over the last right. or five months. Like the Pac-12 had a couple good runs last year. They did not magically become good at basketball as a conference this year. Like no, they did the, th- the things that were problems were still problems. Um, you know, Exhibit A, Oregon State. Yeah, uh, they're right back to where they were most years. Um, so, 
not worried about the SEC. It'll be interesting to see how the coaching carousel continues to turn um, once we crown a national champion and it is truly the off season for everyone. But in the meantime, there is a lot to figure out off the court. There's still a lot to figure out on the court as we get ready for the sweet 16. Um, and this time next week, we will know the final four. And yeah. I mean, there is sadness that comes with that. So there are, Fewer and fewer games left to play, but it was a great opening weekend of the tournament. I have no doubt that this weekend will be just as entertaining with even higher level basketball. Um, so once we have our final four, we'll be back here next week to break it down and look ahead at it in the next round. So we hope you're here with us too. We will see you then.